an Ironic Media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. All right, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you that I am now on Wisdom app. It is an app where we can connect and we can keep the conversation going about this week's episode. So pick up the Wisdom app. I can't wait to see you there. It was a true miracle that I survived this fall and I didn't break my neck. I just know that over the next several months, I had an insane amount of energy, more energy than I've ever had in my life. That's so cool. Wow. And what was weird is that I didn't think about it. I'm like, yeah, I've got this energy. Like I'm cycling. I was, I went and lived in Vietnam for a few months and I was teaching yoga there and I was cycling all around Vietnam, like five hours a day. I was teaching cycling. I was teaching yoga. I had boundless energy. I was teaching my partner yoga, doing all sorts of wild things. It seemed natural. So I didn't think about it. I was just doing that. Then I go to my favorite island in Thailand by December. And that's when one day I was sitting with my friend and I just started seeing his aura like it was a normal thing, but it wasn't normal. Whoa. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, today on the podcast, I have Zahara Jade, and she has a master's in clinical psychology, and she's the founder of The Truth Catalyst. She supports high-achieving souls on their quest to transform trauma, chaos, and dysfunction into authenticity, wellness, and prosperity. For nearly two decades, she has helped clients worldwide overcome lifetimes of anxiety, depression, addictions, chronic pain, and dysfunctional relationship patterns. Jade's years of training overseas, and along with her spiritual and somatic approach, she helps people to break the patterns that have been causing them so much pain. Zahara is a contributor to the entrepreneur Thrive Global and Kensho Health and has been featured in Self and Inc. I am so excited to introduce you to her because she has such an incredible story of transformation. She was chronically ill with an autoimmune disease that like just wrecked her body and life at the time, healed that, and then also <laughs> had an NDE. So this is going to be an amazing conversation about transformation, and I can't wait to share it with you. Welcome to the show, Zahara. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I really appreciate it. And thanks for the intro. I have a psychology degree, so I totally can relate to that. It's so amazing just studying the mind and you learn so much about what makes people tick, why things happen. I swear the number one thing I took away from my degree was that every behavior has a reason and to look for that reason. 
I even then started to extrapolate that into like, why am I sick? What's causing that? Because, you know, as you know, Western medicine is all about masking the symptoms or supporting those symptoms rather than really dealing with the root cause. So when you, when you apply that thinking of finding the root cause, you wind up like really uncovering some really cool stuff. So you were getting your clinical PhD and you then got super sick with Beck's disease, or sorry, you said it's Bichette's, Bichette's yeah. disease, which I had never heard of. Then you were able to heal yourself of this disease. So like, please talk us through how, first of all, how did you get started doing this? How did you heal yourself of such an incredible disease? And then I also want to talk to you about your NDE because those are just fascinating. Yeah. So I had been sick since the age of one. I spent most of my life, my childhood in and out of the hospital, extremely ill, being dragged around the country to different specialists. Nobody really knew what I had. And it took till I was 20 for them to actually diagnose the disease because it's so rare. And I just had really high fevers, really gnarly symptoms, like those ulcers we talked about, but it's Mm -hmm. such a morphing disease. They thought it was some different things. And I still pursued higher education. I mean, I planned to become a clinical psychologist, but with all the work, being a clinical psychologist, seeing patients at the time during graduate school, researching my dissertation, all of the things I was doing, it was so much stress. And after I defended my master's degree, I literally spent at least two weeks in my apartment, unable to leave, unable to walk. I was in so much pain. Mm. And I realized I just had to take a look at what I was doing, take a look at my life and decide, is this serving me? And what is my disease telling me in this moment? I didn't have quite enough foresight to understand the trauma I had been through. I knew I had a really rough childhood and that things outside of my disease had caused a lot of, like, I I didn't realize trauma was the thing. I knew a lot of shit had happened, but (laughs) I didn't realize I had suffered medical trauma Mm. plus all sorts of other trauma. I knew I had to heal and I knew my disease was like the catalyst for that. So I left my program, took a sabbatical. I never went back, but That led me on a path to living life, getting another job. And finally, I just crashed so hard. I had to seek outside of Western medicine. I was like, this isn't working. It just simply isn't taking care of my illness in the way I need it to. And I was so super fortunate to find somebody, a healer, a psychologist as well, but a a somatic healer who basically saved my life. And within six months, I was pretty much in remission and healthy for the first time in my life, like in my mid twenties or something. And that just sent me on a whole new trajectory. And two years later, I was so healthy and I had changed. I literally changed everything in my life. But what the work helped me do and understand was the patterns in my life, every single aspect of every pattern that was contributing to my illness and all of the underlying roots of the disease and how to shift things in my life to make sure I didn't continue getting sick. And within two years, I was super healthy and I left, I left my life and I took a backpack and I backpacked around the world for 18 months. And I ended up living overseas for like over half a decade, like about eight years. It was while I was overseas that the rest of that story takes place. When you say medical trauma, 
Are you yes. referring to the way that doctors are talking to you and like basically programming you, or was there something else that you were referring to or both? <laughs> I mean, when you're a child and you don't have a stay in your care and uh, I was 10 years old, for example, and I spent over six months in the hospital that year being fed by a tube. I I was off all foods. And just that alone is very traumatic for a child. Yeah. Like having that experience. Yeah. So layering on top of that, what it's like to be taken out of school, what it's like to not Mm -hmm. have a normal experience as a child. All of this is traumatic for a child. Absolutely. I just wanted to get a little clarity on that just to see what you thought. So once you had this awakening, you're going through this master's degree program and you graduate and then you realize like, cause you get tossed into bed, basically spiritually speaking. And you have that moment where you realize that something's got to change that you can't do this anymore. What were your thoughts? Like, did you start to analyze your experience using your degree? Cause I, I feel like I did that when I was going through my psychology degree <laughs> to a degree. What degree do you have? Psychology degree. Just general, yeah, general psychology. I was seeing patients and I was having a lot of transference going on. Okay. And I've, there's a lot of trauma in my own life. And a lot of that was coming up. I wasn't healed enough to be able to show up for my clients in the way that I needed to at the time. I realized I wasn't at the point where I needed to be to be able to do the work I needed to do. But also my disease was getting in the way so much it didn't matter. Yeah. So it was a combination of both things. You were realizing you were picking up their energy and their trauma and taking on their stuff. I mean, specifically, like I I had a borderline client and I didn't realize and know at the time that my mom had BPD, borderline personality disorder. And that's just like one of the hardest things. So it just triggered that within you. Is that what you're saying? It had, it made me face that that was my reality. Okay. And it made me realize why I was not in a position to treat that client, for example. Okay. At that point, because I hadn't recognized and become aware that that was my situation in my life and I hadn't healed it. So that brings up a question, like if you could go back and you could teach the classes that you were teaching or add something to what you all were learning in your master's program about what you now know, what would you teach those that are learning to help people? Because I personally know somebody who's becoming, what is she, a social worker. I'm just like, she doesn't have any clue of like how she's around these people and how it's triggering her and what to do. Thankfully, she knows me. And so I give her some information about it. But like, what else could you add to that? Well, what's interesting, like I had been in therapy with the head of a center in Cleveland since I was 15. So it's not like I wasn't in deep therapy, but because of the nature of my abuse and my relationship, it wasn't his place to make me aware of exactly what was going on. It needed to take the time it needed to take me to become aware of what was happening. I think what's important for people going through these types of programs is they do need to be in their own therapeutic process. I totally agree. Without a doubt first. And like I had a mentor that person should have a mentor. And I'm certain that they do, but that mentor should be pointing out like, okay, if you're getting triggered, like here's the way you need to get help. Right. So what, what else would you offer? So the somatic part of this, I got to the point where I recognized I had an option and had a choice. Could I go back into my clinical work and 
it was very clear to me at that point within a couple of years that that wasn't ideal and that wasn't an option because the clinical route really just dealt with the mind. Right. Period. And that wasn't enough for people to heal because when they're just in their minds, they get stuck and it doesn't help them heal. So that component is what helped you heal. And then you could help other people to heal. Awesome. Yeah. I was reading on your website, you said unprecedented proof. And I love that you said that referring to the fact that trauma is really stored in the tissues and that if you aren't healing that you're going to be stuck. Is there a moment in which you were like, put everything together? Do you remember that moment where you were just like, it has to be my childhood experiences continuing to traumatize me? No, actually it wasn't like that. And I think it's not like that for most most people don't necessarily have that awareness. They recognize that they're suffering. And that's why it's hard. Sometimes people don't know what to get help for. They're like, I have bad anxiety or Mm -hmm. I've got this chronic illness. I don't know where to go for help. How do I heal? It was the same thing for me. I went to get help for my illness. I just went to this woman who actually helped people heal from cancer, but it turns out that she knew what I know now that underneath all of that, So much of what's driving this disease, what you know, is that there's a lot of underlying dis-ease. And can you outline how you think that's playing a role in how we feel? Just as a person who has a master's in psychology, what do you think? How can you lay that out for us? Well, it's different for everybody. But if I were to generalize it, what happens is multifaceted. So... When, and I'll speak from trauma, at the moment of trauma, we store traumatic memories in somatic senses. So sight, smell, sounds, feelings, they're stored in the amygdala and the hippocampus, and we feel them in our body. They're stored in cellular memories. We can't access them from the conscious. Sometimes we have a memory, sometimes conscious memory, but often when we get, when we're triggered, we, we use this word triggered a lot, right? Mm-hmm. We feel something. We don't know why we're being triggered or why something in the present moment, maybe 10 years later, we feel like angry or anxious or whatever. Usually what's happening is our subconscious is remembering something from our long past. Mm -hmm. It's feeling some sense of a memory, a somatic memory from our past trauma. In the present time. In the present time, yeah. And so what happens is people start being triggered, and then they start suffering more and more. They get anxious. Then all of a sudden they're anxious a lot. And they're like, why am I anxious? I don't know why I'm anxious. So let's take financial trauma, for example. Every time they open their digital checkbook, they're like, I don't know why, but every time I have to look at my bank account, I get really anxious and I can't handle it anymore. Every time my husband talks about our bank account, I like have a meltdown, freaking out, right? And they want to get help for it or whatever. We, we dial into it. Turns out there's this memory from their past when they were three years old, their parents were fighting about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, but it, it wasn't a conscious memory. Yeah. And that's, that's so important to know because really the symptom is really giving us a lot of information. And that anxiety can often start to cause physical symptoms. So chronically long-term when you're having anxiety, when you're sent into, out of your window of tolerance into dysregulation, either into hyperarousal or hypoarousal, your body is releasing 
cortisol, adrenaline, and when it's re releasing that on a chronic basis, it causes inflammation and inflammation can cause all sorts of diseases. Mm -hmm. yep. It doesn't matter. It can cause obesity, diabetes. It can cause autoimmune disease, depending on your genetics. So that's how people end up sick. And then doctors give you pills and it may mask the symptoms, but ultimately it doesn't get to the underlying root. Of right, right, right. Isn't it so interesting that we could, if, if if given the tools, we could go back to that moment in time when we were three and we witnessed that and we can rewrite the script from there and then fast forward to the present moment, you're no longer suffering from that trigger day in, day out all the time. And then all of a sudden, when you're not being triggered all the time, your body has that chance to heal and reset. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're in the present moment more often, boom, you're healing you get more clarity about your life because you're not getting hijacked all the time by these triggers. So it's, it's interesting. A lot of people ask me how to get healthier, how to have better intuition, how to maybe even become <laughs> psychic. And it's really just going after these little triggers that actually are creating a lot more problems that you might not realize. Once you started handling your trauma with this lady who was helping people to heal from cancer, I assume that that's what really catapulted you into this new health that you had. Right. So I started with the disease and the pain and that helped me uncover that there was all this underlying trauma in my body. And then I started healing the relationships in my life that were really toxic. Mm. I started changing those or taking them out of my life when I couldn't heal them. My life changed dramatically. Yeah. That's amazing. And then, so it became a part of your reality to travel to for 18 months, which is so neat. How old were you at the time when you did that? I think I left when I was 28. Okay, cool. Wow. Why did you choose that? Like what you were just like, I just have to go and travel and find me or what was, what was your reasoning? It wasn't even that it's sort of like, I found my voice. I found my truth through the process of healing, but I didn't have a childhood. I lived in the hospital. I didn't really know what it was like to play. I didn't get a normal childhood, any of that kind of thing. I didn't feel free. I was handcuffed to the disease and to medications. And finally I was off. I, I went from 15 medicines down to two. I wasn't tied to all the things I used to be tied to. And I was asking myself, what am I doing here mm. in Cleveland, Ohio? working a high stress job. I had six months prior, like during the process of healing, it became very clear to me that I didn't know if I wanted kids with the person I had become engaged to. And mm. all of a sudden, like his thing was kids and that didn't work. So we broke up and I was free, fully free. And why wouldn't I just go live my life? I'm smiling so big. Like I, that, I, you just made me so happy that you mm -hmm. chose you and you knew that you needed that childhood and that freedom as a person who also was chronically ill as a child and spent a lot of times in doctor's offices and wondering what was wrong with me and things like that. I missed out on a lot too. So a little part of me just got a healing listening to you go for that freedom. You were in really amazing places like Asia and Thailand and where, mm -hmm. so what were some other places? Cause I remember it was all like in that area. Yeah. Yeah. India, Bali. Right. Yeah. You met up with teachers, right? And you started learning about Eastern medicines. Initially, my intention was simply to live and to travel. But, you know, I found myself in South India and I was in, I, 
chatting with my sister, we had always like for the past several years, we've been practicing yogis. She's like, go to Mysore, travel with the Ashtanga people. Like, why wouldn't you go study with Sharat? And so I learned the Ashtanga practice with the teachers. And in Mysore, there are all these teachers of different incredible esoteric practices. And I ended up over three years, just continually coming back to Mysore and studying with different teachers there. In Bali, I spent a lot of time studying with different healers. In Thailand, I spent time with the monks. Really cool. I mean, as a woman, I couldn't become a monk, right? Men Mm -hmm. just can become a monk for a day in Thailand, but it's not something women do, but we can spend time with the monks. Hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't know that. It never really crossed my mind, but that's interesting that they don't allow women to do it. So at that point, you you had your NDE. It was in 2012, correct? I'd come back to the States for a little while, and then I went back to Asia, and I was rock climbing in the south of Thailand in Tonsai and Krabi. It's like, it's limestone rock, and it had been raining for like two weeks, and finally we had a sunny day. But I had been climbing for two days and I knew my body was really tired that day. My partner and I, we were like, oh, let's just climb for a couple of hours this morning. And there was this really hard route I was working on. And I knew that whole time that I was climbing up that I was really tired. I didn't realize because I had heat stroke that I had heat stroke. When you have heat stroke, you're pretty out of it. Mm. But I definitely had it. And I remember telling her, like, I need to down climb. I need to come down. And she kept making, saying these things like, well, if you come down then I won't do this or whatever, like she was negotiating with me while I'm hanging on the wall and I was not with it. And I didn't know what to do, but I got to a point where I couldn't hang on anymore. I was exhausted and I let go, but the rope was in a position where it flipped me upside down. (gasps) And I fell like 20 feet and I hit the back of my head and it was a real bad fall. And I just, I, I completely not only blacked out, but I, I was somewhere else. Like it hit me right back here in that spot. I'm not sure what happened to be totally honest, but I know that at some point I heard my voice. Like it was, it was like somewhere far away. And I just heard this voice screaming. Um, and I knew I just, I was there and I had to come back to that voice. And when I did, when I opened my eyes, I realized I was hanging upside down on this rock and blood was gushing out of my head. Oh my goodness. I hit the back of my head where they say DMT is stored. Mm. I didn't, I definitely had a concussion. I wasn't thinking straight. I didn't think about any of this in the moment. Luckily, like I was, somebody got me down. They got me on a taxi boat to a clinic in Thailand where nobody spoke English. They shined some lights in my eyes, stitched me up, shaved my head, stitched me up. I have no idea. If, if something was seriously wrong, I would not have survived. They didn't check me for a concussion. They didn't do anything real, but I definitely had a concussion for a couple of weeks and it was, it was a true miracle that I survived this fall and I didn't break my neck. I just know that over the next several months, I had an insane amount of energy, more energy than I've ever had in my life. That's so cool. Wow. And what was weird is that 
didn't think about it. I'm like, yeah, I've got this energy. Like I'm cycling. I was, I went and lived in Vietnam for a few months and I was teaching yoga there and I was cycling all around Vietnam, like five hours a day. I was teaching cycling. I was teaching yoga. I had boundless energy. I was teaching my partner yoga, doing all sorts of wild things. It seemed natural. So I didn't think about it. I was just doing that. Then I go to my favorite island in Thailand by December. And that's when one day I was sitting with my friend and I just started seeing his aura like it was a normal thing, but it wasn't normal. Whoa. There was this blue green aura around him. And I tell him, Felix, I'm seeing your aura and I'm describing it to him. And I'm like, and it kind of looks like you've got this kind of looks like the Shiva staff. He's like, actually, you know what? That's when people describe my aura, that's how they describe it. Whoa. <laughs> so I, I just thought, well, you know what? Maybe I am seeing his aura. Okay, whatever. That's weird. But I knew that day I had felt this deep, intense movement in that area where they say the Kundalini is, and it's just rush of energy. And what started happening is every day for about a month while I was on that island, every morning at 5 a.m., almost on the dot, I would shoot up from sleep and start hysterically crying. I wasn't sad. I just hysterically cry, like tons of energy releasing. Hmm. I was blissed out the rest of the day. Wow. Like I was high and feeling totally connected with everything. I was running around this island jungle, no shoes. I was carrying around, like people dress up there to go dancing like a couple times a week. They dance in the jungle. It's a really cool place. But I was just carrying around fairy dust, <laughs> dusting people. But I felt totally normal, mm. which was odd. It's just like that kind of thing people talk about when they're having a spiritual waking. But I was not aware that I was happy, but, you know. And I wasn't like, sometimes you eat less on the beach, but I was really eating a lot less. I was headed to India at the end of that month. And I remember like they weren't going to let me on the plane because like, I don't know, something about, and India is weird like this. There's always like a thing, but like, I didn't have enough money, but you know how like you're irritated when stuff like this happens. I was just totally high the whole time this thing, this thing was going on. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, so I get to India and I, my sister's there because she would meet me in India occasionally. And all these people were there, but she noticed that it's different. And I was just talking to people about like this experience. Nobody really mentioned it at all, except for my teacher, Sharat. One day I was in the studio when we weren't practicing yoga with a friend taking their picture or something. And as I'm walking out, he says, oh, yo, serpent energy. <gasps> I didn't notice. Yeah. But my friend nudges me and she's like, did you hear him? He says, you have serpent energy. I'm like, okay. Yeah. She's like, that means you have a kundalini energy. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Still oblivious to the fact that this is happening six weeks into it. And I go home and I'm just Googling this. <laughs> like serpent energy. What does that mean? <laughs> and then I see all the things that had been happening to me over the last six weeks. And it says kundalini spiritual awakening. And then this light bulb goes off like, oh shit, I'm having, having a spiritual awakening. What? Like, it was just so natural 
Mm-hmm. And it felt so real. And I just felt so connected, like, oh, as if this had always been happening or something, except mm-hmm. obviously it hadn't. It was really, really bizarre, really weird. But unfortunately, that high part didn't last. And there was a part a couple months later where I started to come down and I started to, for the next while, I don't know, like maybe eight months to 10 months in, ego death starts happening. Ego death, you said. Yeah, 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 ego death. And it's a very painful part of the process where literally one day I felt like I was outside of my body, looking at myself, doing what I was doing. And my ego was dying. And I just was questioning everything about life, the purpose, et cetera. I was coming back down to the ground. Yeah. And and disconnecting with what I had been connected to. And it was a very painful crash. Very interesting. It's a fascinating experience. Sounds like a hyper, like fast evolution to me. Like I, some of the aspects that you're talking about, I feel like I've experienced, but I had more time in between. That's like really hard to do that quickly. Yeah. Some people say they experienced it for like a day. This went on for like over a year and it was so intense. I mean, anybody who's looking to have this experience, it's not one that's grounded. I'll say that. And it's not one like when you're, when I was in it, I could barely do things that I needed to do to be responsible. I couldn't be on the computer really. And I've talked to other people who've had this experience, friends of mine, they struggled too. Like when you have to do taxes, when you have to do work on the computer, it's not possible. You're just in another world. Well, because it feels kind of pointless because it's just such a blip in time. <laughs> she just made a face. And, and the struggle, you can separate yourself from that. You're like, okay, this is temporary. I get that I'm experiencing it, but it is temporary. And what is the meaning of it? So there's that outside perspective. And I feel like I probably dipped in and out of that a lot. You know, I think you have to do that in order to awaken to your path and get more intuitive and spiritual and things like that. There has to be a decreasing of the ego, in my opinion. Yeah. And I talk about people awakening from trauma and there is definitely a distinction and a difference, right? Like Kundalini awakening is a very specific type of of awakening where your Kundalini, the coil literally like awakens and there's just shooting of DMT energy through your chakras that opens you up spiritually or whatever, I guess. That's apparently what happens. Yeah. And there are other softer types of awakenings where you become aware, open and awakened to your connection to yourself, your inner wisdom, to the universe, right? Mm -hmm. And that is a much more grounded ability to awaken. Yeah. (laughs) And it's one I would recommend. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. In fact, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I had that Kundalini awakening when I had my son. It was very traumatic and it came from the root chakra area. And it just, I was like manic, almost like it was like I had all this energy And I was constantly in doing mode, but I was so exhausted, Mm. uh, which was the weird thing. I had all this energy, but I was tired because I was also breastfeeding every hour and a half, whatever, pumping and stuff. 
It wasn't until about a year in that I met my teacher at the time and her name is Stacia. And she was like, you need to shut that off. Like you need to close that down. Like you cannot sustain this. And I was like, what are you talking about? So she helped me to close that down and help me to, mm. to come back down to earth. And like, it was a lot easier after that, but there was that time period. It was about a year as well with that whole thing. And right before it, I also thought I was going to die. It was, I call that a spiritually transformative experience. I almost did die, but then I had to meditate for three weeks in the hospital. It's interesting. You were saying you had just had a dark night of the soul right before you had your NDE, right? I did nearly die. Right, 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 right. No, I'm saying you had a dark night of the soul before you had your NDE. I did actually. Yeah. And what's weird is during that time, I, I actually had a dream because I'd been rock climbing in San Francisco six months prior to the NDE. I was rock climbing indoors and I had a friend that I would rock climb with a lot. And during that time when I was tumbling into this dark night of the soul, I had this deep dream where I, I thought I died. Like I was climbing onto this big rock and my friend Rich was there with me, but when I fell and my head got chopped off, yeah? Whoa. Yeah, and I remember this dream to this day because I swear, I feel like it was a predictive dream. Right, totally. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, and I don't consider myself like psychic. I don't consider myself a person who can tune in that way, but I feel that I'm very intuitive and tapped in, in certain ways. And in that way, right. It was, it was very bizarre that I had that dream. And six months later, I fell rock climbing and nearly died cracking my wow. head. Yeah. Once you had this whole Kundalini energy awakening, is that what changed your whole life? It sounds like it then pushed you into this, like combining Eastern and Western medicine for healing. Yeah. So from there, right my intuitive powers just completely opened up. And at that point I knew like I had a purpose and I had to be here for a purpose. It didn't immediately lead me into opening the truth catalyst. Like I wasn't ready. And I was terrified, frankly, like that I would get sick. It took me some time to get to the point that I was ready. I had to do some more work. I had to do some more healing, some more training, Along the way, I met my soulmate, my, my husband, my soul partner, and we moved back to the U.S. And when I was ready, I stepped into the work. I feel like sometimes people step into the work for the wrong reasons before they're ready. I stepped into it when I felt so called, when I felt like I knew I was here for this purpose. And it was almost like if I didn't do this, other people, like people needed this mm -hmm. in this way. And I had to step into this work. And that was the reason for doing this. I love that you did that. And it makes me think of when I'm talking to clients and they're like, but I'm scared to like step into what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, I get it. It's scary, but the people on the other side are waiting for you to help them. Like you being scared of stopping their healing or, or at least making it more complicated for them to find the healing. 
sometimes we have to bravely step forward knowing that we can have this impact and just trusting that we feel that impact and that there are people waiting for us. So I, I applaud you for doing that. And, and I'm glad that you recognized that you were afraid that you were going to get sick again. I mean, I definitely yeah. suffered from that as well. Like I was like, well, I don't know. I feel so great. Do I really want to like intermingle with all these heavy things? Like people bring their traumas to us, their childhood traumas. I mean, some of the saddest things and experiences it's not easy to sit there and listen and guide without feeling like a human, you know, <laughs> about it. So there is a separation there that has to take place and certainly learning how to clear my energy. And one of the things I like to also acknowledge is when we do our own work, we aren't going to get triggered by that same work that used to be there. It's gone. It no longer can actually land, which is triggering. So doing our own work really helps us to stay neutral and be able to hear that stuff and be able to guide. But we are all still human. <laughs> and sometimes we get caught in the middle of stuff. And, and, and I find that clients show up to illuminate some things that are still deep within that I haven't been able to see or recognize. And, and so even yesterday, I was like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> When I was working on four clients came at the same time, all the same things, like different angles. I'm like, what the fuck? Just trying to figure it out. So the common thread in, in, in me that I haven't been able to see. So I'm working on that. But do you feel like that was your experience as well Is that you started to realize that you could master that if you, because you had mastered yourself? Well, I think I was really trapped in this dynamic. Like I had to work physically with people like hands-on type of work, because that was one of the models I had seen in terms of the type of work I wanted to do. And when I broke that myself, and I was like, actually, I don't have to, I can guide them in a different way and it can be just as powerful. And in fact, I can help them learn to heal themselves in the way I want to do it. And it can be more powerful. And actually that's what I've seen happen. And the way I've ended up building it has been really so effective. And so that I had to get out of my own way, but also, yeah, I think what it takes is knowing your own energetic limits, your own, right. Like you're talking about, right. The boundaries, the triggers, et cetera. Yeah. That. You have a toolkit that you offer on your website for people who are looking yeah. to figure out how to master their traumas. Yeah. The trauma trigger toolkit, it helps you go through and try and identify the triggers in your life, and then just go through some somatic activities, journaling, et cetera, to hold space for and heal some of those triggers. Of course, that's just one of the beginning steps to healing trauma, but knowing what your triggers are mm. is often one of the most powerful steps in healing trauma. Yeah. Right. Well, because you can take that step and be like, I'm not going to be hanging out with these people who are triggering me as much if you, if you can, right. I mean, if you know your triggers, yes, you can. yeah, some, sometimes <laughs> it's easy to eliminate those kinds of things, but other times it's a little harder and a little bit more complicated. Certainly knowing your triggers is, is definitely the first step in being able to heal. I don't know what, where you're going or what you're dealing with. Can you offer any other advice to handling our triggers or healing? Be ready. Be ready to do this work. This is definitely some of the most transformative work you're going to ever do in your life. When you're ready for it, you're going to come out the other side a different person. 1,000%. I've seen it time and time again. 
I have been blown away when I watch it happen with my clients. I've also seen it crash and fail for people who are just absolutely determined to not change. What can you say about that in terms of when we have an identity shift, it causes our fight or flight to go on. Our body and our brain says this is unsafe. How would you suggest that we override that? Like, do you have a technique or a tool that you love to incorporate to help override this identity shift being scary? So this one is really tricky. It's really hard. I don't think there's any magic trick for it. I think showing up and being open and willing to let your guide, your expert, the person you've given over your trust to, really letting them guide you, not like noticing when you are trying to control, because that's often what we do when we're scared, Mm -hmm. letting them guide you. Because if you continue to try and hold and control, it's just going to keep that pattern going. Right. Which keeps us kind of feeling stuck. When you continue to shut down and say, well, no, I'm not going to do it your way because I seem to know better, even though you're there for work to change, right? (laughs) Right. Like that kind of stuff, right? Like I get it. But if you want to change, you really, even if you don't trust the process, it's important to try and maybe you will start to trust the process. Yeah. I definitely feel like there's a a specific dance you need to do with that. You want to trust the process and you want to trust the person that you've hired to help you, but you also want to trust your intuition and how comfortable you feel going through the process. Because sometimes like, for instance, myself, I like to go gung ho, let's get rid of it all and I'll deal. It's not always easy on the other end of that. And I forget because I, I don't know, for some reason I do. Sometimes my intuition will tell me, Amy, go slower. You don't need to do this all in one huge chunk. And I wish that I, I had listened sometimes when I get to the other side and I'm like, what the fuck? Like I, I'm having another breakdown and I don't know, but I always come out the other side. So it, there is this dance where you trust and you listen, you trust and you listen and trust and listen. And I'm listen to yourself is what I'm saying. I, I like that. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of times we do hire these people to guide us and really show us this massive transformation and it can be scary. Yeah. And I, 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 I recognize that it can be very scary. What I have seen, at least with my clients, is that people are scared coming in. People who have controlled everything in their life, Mm -hmm. people who are terrified, they're going to get sicker. They're going to be in more pain, right? Because I work with people who have multiple autoimmune diseases, things like that. But when they do know that nothing else is going to change, nothing's worked. And if they're willing to trust what they're doing in this moment, even if they're scared that they can learn to trust themselves. Cause that's actually built into the process that I have. That's great. Yeah. That's I mean, learning self-trust, but you know, sometimes it's really hard. It's hard to differentiate. Yeah, differentiate between your intuition and you being scared. Yeah. I mean, I teach intuition. I teach self-trust. So those are components of what I teach. And I try and help people learn those things when they don't, especially when they don't have them. 
That's great. Definitely. I, from what I've seen with people who have autoimmune diseases, they wind up having a lot of trauma and they have a closed off heart chakra for the most part. And everybody seems to be unsafe. So there's a lot of fight or flight running. Once you start, like I said, dealing with those triggers and dealing with trusting the self and learning the self, relearning the self really as you are within the world, rather than how you used to be because you were coping, that's where the transformation really happens and they can step into their power and, and understand who they really are. Do you want to share anything else with us? Cause I mean, this was really awesome talking to you. You've (laughs) had an incredible life. And I, I just keep going back to that thought of you just like really claiming your childhood in that moment Mm. and and then traveling. And I just, I love that you did that. And I hope if anybody's out there and you feel like you've been lacking freedom, probably because of COVID and feeling locked down, or if you had a childhood where you didn't get to be a child per se, go after that freedom. That's a beautiful way to end. I'm sure so many people listening right now feel that way. Anybody who suffered from childhood trauma probably feels that way. Yeah. And childhood trauma can look a lot of different ways. You had a specific medical condition that was keeping you from living your childhood. And I've read other things were going on as well. And same with my family. I had medical stuff, but also I was the middle child (laughs) sharing that with my twin sister, five other kids. That can create some trauma in of itself as well. And it all looks different if you feel like you missed out on some of your childhood because you felt like you had to be taking on responsibility for other people and their feelings and what they were going through. And it just felt like you were taking on more responsibility than you should have. And definitely seek that freedom to help heal yourself because we all need it at some point. Yeah, Empaths tend to do that. (laughs) Thank you. Empaths tend to take on the responsibility way earlier than they should. Yeah. So thank you for being here. Can you tell us where we can find out more about you? Yeah, my website is a great place and Instagram, thetruthcatalyst.com and at truthcatalyst. By the way, I also had taken a test and I came up as a catalyst as well. Have you ever (laughs) taken that test? No. Oh my gosh, it was a personality (laughs) test. And I came up as a catalyst and I was like, that's fucking right. Like I spark (laughs) in people. Yeah, and I like that you said the truth catalyst because that's really special. The truth, the truth, not just truth, the truth. Like your truth, no. It's so important and it's why we're here. So thank you for being here. You, you really are a beautiful light in this world. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and helping people to find their intuition and heal their autoimmune diseases and become the best version of themselves. Thank you so much, Amy. I so appreciate you. All content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show, website or other platforms, including text, images, audio or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist. 